0: The grace and peace of God be multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're joining us via live stream, praying that the Lord's blessing may rest upon you as well. Uh, glad that you all could be here this afternoon uh, for uh, Bob Head's uh, memorial service, or some of you may have known him as Pastor Bob uh, as well. Uh, and this is uh, a time where we can sort of reflect on his life, but also rejoice uh, and celebrate his life at the same time. And uh, it's saying that, uh, there is a place also where, there is a, where you can uh, mourn and grieve. There is a sense of absence, surely, uh, knowing that he is no longer present uh, with us in our lived reality. But at the same time, I, just, I also want to welcome you to, as I said, rejoice and celebrate uh, for this precious uh, saint has run the race before him. He has finished uh, his course. He has uh, gone through the finish line, and the Lord... Uh, through faith has uh, preserved him and kept him and has reserved a great and precious place for him uh, in paradise. Uh, Hebrews 11, as many of you know, uh, points us to what has become known as the hall of faith. Many saints who have come before and uh, have left a pattern of righteousness, an example for us uh, to follow. And so we get to reflect back on Pastor Bob's life and to rejoice in his life and even look back and even be encouraged today by the legacy that he leaves behind because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to open us up with a a word of prayer. Our time will consist of uh, singing some songs that were very special and meaningful to him and his family. Uh, There will be a a message that really uh, focuses on reflecting on his life, and another message uh, that will be focused, hopefully, on just uh, providing you with a word of uh, encouragement uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me read to us a passage of Scripture, then we'll pray, and then uh, we invite you all to, to sing along with us. Our passage is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope Father in heaven, we lift up our hearts, our minds, to the God of all comfort. We lift up our prayers to the God who redeems sinners through the blood of Jesus Christ. We lift up our requests to the one who keeps his precious saints all the way to the very end. Lord, we come before you, and we ask that your blessing would be upon us this afternoon. We pray that the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit may rest here in this place. Lord, and even as we lift up our requests to you, asking that you may be honored in our time together, first and foremost, Lord, our minds also look to Robert Het, this, uh, this brother in the faith who has gone before us and has finished his course. We look to you as the one who has preserved him and kept him and has now uh, awarded him with a prize and outcome of his faith, ultimately in the salvation of his soul. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, and that you would comfort those who are grieving. We pray that you would put wind in the sails of those who perhaps are exhausted and tried by the trials of this life and this season. We pray that you would encourage the faint-hearted, and that you would give strength to your precious saints this afternoon. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Uh, Let us stand. Please, uh, if you can, if you may, and join me as we sing victory in Jesus. Amen. chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, uh, 23 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And with that word, um, before we sing this next song, which is Great is Thy Faithfulness, um, it's a it 's a very dear song uh, to the family and um, that 's been sung in many events um, together uh, and so uh, please join me as we sing this together.
2: Well, it's truly an honor and privilege to speak about the life of Bob Pett. I only had the privilege of knowing Pastor Bob, as I've called him, for a little while. His granddaughter, Elizabeth, and I have been married over two years now. And it's been a real privilege and encouragement getting to know Pastor Bob in that time and how God used him through many years of life and ministry. Just so you know, I'll be switching back and forth between Pastor Bob and Bob, because as he liked to put it, he would have a pastor hat that he would take off, depending on the situation, which I actually think is, is a healthy example, especially if you're a pastor, because you're more than just a pastor, you're a child of God. And and there are times where you've got to separate those two identities, pastor from just a child of God. And Bob is a child of God, first and foremost. He was also a faithful husband to Donna. He was a faithful father to Bobby and Rhonda. And eventually he was a faithful grandfather to Elizabeth, Aaron, Alan, and Ian. And, of course, Pastor Bob was a faithful servant of the Lord. He was a faithful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this afternoon, I want to share with you some things from Bob's life. And in the process of doing that, point you to the one Bob trusted above all else, his Lord and God, Jesus Christ, the one true God. And I want to start with Bob's life passage. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I actually invite you to turn there if 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 there's a Bible around you. uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. The Bible app is also fine. It's good to just look at it, though, while while we're contemplating it. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Give you a moment to turn there. So, we read in Philippians 3, 12-14, starting in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In the passage before this one, Paul talks about how his desire in life is to know Jesus over and against everything and everyone else. He counts all the good things that he had in the past as rubbish, as trash, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And he wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know the righteousness which comes from Jesus. He wanted to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings, being conformed to his death. So that Paul might receive the resurrection of the dead. That last phrase, resurrection of the dead, in verse 11, looking at the passage right before this one, refers to when Jesus comes back a second time. And when he comes back, those who are dead in him will come back to life and be reunited with a new body and live forever with Christ. Now another word we would use is heaven. But a lot of times when we think of heaven, our our understanding is very watered down compared to what Paul is articulating here. Paul's idea of the resurrection of the dead is new life with Christ forever. Life that never ends. With a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's a life where there's no more death. There's no more sorrow. No more pain. No more disease. A life of eternal and lasting peace, joy, love. And Paul says he wants this. This is what he's driving towards, and really to know Christ by any means possible. He's straining forward towards this. This is what he's aiming for in life. And when we get to verse 12, Paul admits that he hasn't yet received the resurrection from the dead. He's not yet perfect. He's not yet sinless. He hasn't got there yet. But he presses on to make it his own. He presses on. He pursues the resurrection from the dead. Now, the word press on in the original language is very strong. It conveys the idea of moving rapidly and decisively towards an object. You think about football players diving towards a fumbled ball. It's that kind of pursuit of something, that pressing on. And and Paul even used the same word in chapter 3, verse 6 in Philippians to describe his persecution of Christians. So this is how aggressively Paul is pursuing the resurrection from the dead. And he says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. So the reason that he pursues heaven is because Jesus has already made Paul his own. And Paul wants to be with Christ forever in that next life. That's the the ground for it. So if you're a follower of Jesus, He has made you His own. Amen. And you can be His own if you are not already a follower of Christ, which is something that Pastor Ademi will be articulating in a little bit. And then Paul reiterates in verse 13, he does not consider that he has already achieved the resurrection from the dead. So he knows that he hasn't already got there. He repeats that which means he's really emphasizing it, I know I haven't got to the resurrection from the dead yet, but one thing he does, one thing he does, he forgets what lies behind, and he strains forward to what lies ahead. So Paul leaves behind his past. He leaves behind all his sins, all of his failures. He leaves behind his persecution of Christians, of people who are now his brothers and sisters. Even the good things which became idols, Paul's leaving it all behind. He's forgetting about all of it. And he does one thing, he strains forward. You can picture somebody reaching out for something that they can barely touch. He's straining forward towards this, to, to what is ahead, to the resurrection from the dead. And again, what's he straining towards? He tells us in verse 14, the resurrection of the dead, he presses on the same aggressive term as before towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's straining towards. The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call meaning the next life, heaven, the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's ultimate goal is, is the resurrection from the dead. This is what he's striving towards. This is what he's aiming for. He's not not just doing ministry. He's not just making disciples. It's not just that he wants to know God more. It's that he's straining forward to this resurrection from the dead. That's what he's striving after. Everything that he does in his life and his ministry drives towards that. And Paul even says, if you look down at verse 15, that those who are mature should think this way. So if you're spiritually mature, this is the way that you're going to think. You're going to strive towards that next life in Christ. That's going to be your goal in your life, moving towards that. And so that naturally leads to the question, if you're a follower of Jesus, what is your ultimate goal? What is your ultimate goal in life? Is it the resurrection from the dead? Is it the same goal that Paul had? That next life, heaven, is that what you're straining towards in life? A life where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more death. Now, it's true that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to heaven no matter what. Amen? Amen. But you're, are you striving towards it? Are you straining towards it? Straining towards heaven? How badly do you want it? And I would challenge you this afternoon that mature Christianity is about striving towards heaven. That's what mature Christianity looks like. And that was Bob Het's goal in life. This was his life passage. And he has now reached it. He has now reached it. Regardless of your theological persuasion on the intermediate state, for the Advent Christians among us, that would be soul sleep. If you're not Advent Christian, it might be something else. Regardless of your theological persuasion, I believe we can confidently say that Bob Het is now with Jesus and either already has or will be given a warm welcome from Jesus Christ himself. If you're in Christ, you will see Bob Hett again. You will see him again. You will. And we praise Jesus for this. We praise him for that. And we press on ourselves towards the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Bob Hett was confident of God's love for him from the beginning of his life. He saw God's love for him in his own family and in his church family, the Advent Christian Church of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right here in the same town. And others in his life saw this confidence in God's love as well. I think it's pretty neat. His grade school friends, when, when he was in grade school, they called him Happy Head. Happy Head. That's, that's kind of convicting. I don't know that somebody could call me Happy Murphy. So <laughs> that's neat. Happy Head. So, so they could tell that he was happy and confident in the love of God. They could tell by, by just looking at him. Bob came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior when he was four years old. Let's emphasize the importance of children's ministry right there. Four years old. And he was baptized when he was seven years old. So he was very young when he decided to follow Christ the rest of his life. Praise God. At his baptism, they sang the song, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, which became his testimony song throughout the rest of his life. And we will have the privilege of singing that once we're done reflecting on his life. When Bob was 12 years old, God called him to full-time ministry at the altar of the Alton Bay Christian Conference Center in New Hampshire, a place where, through God's providence, He would eventually minister. That's a pretty neat connection. After, as he put it, wasting his freshman year at Portsmouth Portsmouth High School, Bob realized, like other Christian adolescents usually do, that to fulfill God's calling, he would have to intentionally apply himself to schoolwork. And he did this for the rest of high school and in college. When Bob was a senior in high school, He visited his brother, Phil, at what was to eventually become Berkshire Christian College. And when he was there, he met a young lady named Donna Smith from Dover, Foxcroft, Maine. In a legacy journal entry from 2020, Bob wrote, and these are Bob's words, that Donna was astonishingly beautiful and sweet. I had my eye out for her when I arrived at Berkshire that fall, but she had become attached to an older classmate. When he, the older classmate, left for seminary two years later, their flame had diminished, and I moved in to establish a new flame that still burns brightly today, even through her Alzheimer's disease. Bob continued saying, I love it when she responds to my declarations of love to her, even during this difficult time when she's battling dementia. In recent years, Bob had limited visits with Donna, who was in nursing home care in a separate facility, uh, especially during COVID. This was very difficult. Bob would often say to his daughter, Rhonda, after a visit that any smile or kiss or statement of love by Donna would be enough to fill his bucket for days until he could visit her again. And I want to say, too, that Bob's example of loving Donna through her Alzheimer's is humbling, convicting and inspiring at the same time. Um, And it's an example that I hope to follow in my marriage with Liz, and I hope it's an example all of us will desire to emulate. After graduating from Berkshire with her own degree in theology, Donna faithfully and humbly supported Bob and her family, committing herself to God's call to them both throughout their extensive ministry. Pastor Bob served churches in 15 states, all across the country, 12 as head pastor, once as an associate pastor of youth and music, and several interim positions, closing out his final official pastoral position as chaplain at Meeting House Village in Kittery, Maine, in 2018. As you can well imagine, Bob and Donna became experts at moving, needing to pack all their earthly belongings into moving trucks and move at least 20 times. (laughs) 20 times. Wow. Family and church family were extremely important to both Bob and Donna and the focus of daily prayer. And God caused both of them to prioritize time with people through visits, calls, and letters. Even though they would naturally prefer to to be alone as introverts. Something that I can relate to. Maybe many of us can relate to that. And it's proof of God's strength and weakness, right there, that they prioritized that. Nearly every vacation was focused on visiting family and friends all over the country with their favorite destinations involving grandchildren. Bob and Donna experienced many challenges and disappointments in life and ministry, but as Bob looked back over life in in his later years, he was able to see how disappointment was God's appointment. And that was actually a message that he preached right here in the same pulpit at Seacoast about seven years ago. This conviction is articulated well through a favorite poem that's printed on the back of your bulletin. The poem, Disappointment, His Appointment, by an unknown author, reads, Disappointment, His Appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise, for the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom, lies. Disappointment his appointment, no good will he withhold. From the denials oft we gather, treasures of his love untold. Well, he knows each broken purpose, leads to fuller, deeper trust, and the end of all his dealings proves our God is wise and just. Disappointment, his appointment, Lord, I take it then as such, like clay in the hands of a potter, yielding wholly to thy touch. My life's plan is thy molding, not one single choice be mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my world, but thine. A man like Pastor Bob is an example of what faithful gospel ministry looks like over many years of a pastor's life. And Pastor Bob had the privilege of being used by God in the lives of others many times. And here's one very powerful example. Some of you have maybe heard this and some of you haven't. One morning, while doing sermon preparation in his study, Pastor Bob felt a tremendous urge to visit a church member. We'll call this church member Jack. At first, Bob argued with the Lord, explaining the list of things he needed to do to accomplish that morning. The things that he needed to accomplish that morning, but the feeling persisted. So Pastor Bob reluctantly reluctantly left his work and drove to the members' home. When he arrived, he was greeted by Jack's wife and children. They said Jack was in the basement and called him upstairs to meet together in the living room. After a pleasant conversation with the family, Pastor Bob left the house perplexed and even a little angry that his morning had been interrupted for no reason. But later on, Jack revealed to Pastor Bob that he had been in the basement ready to commit suicide. He had laid out a deadly dose of pills, prescription pills, on the counter and was about to take them. And when Pastor Bob arrived, Jack realized that God saw him and cared about him enough to send his pastor at just the right time. And he recommitted his life to the Lord. Praise God. That's just one powerful example of how God used Pastor Bob had throughout his many years of life and ministry. And I'm sure those of us who knew Bob well could think of many more. Bob leaves behind a legacy, leaves behind a legacy that all of us can glean from. He even did us the favor of summarizing the most important lessons that he's learned in life in one page of his legacy book, which I think is awesome. What a great way to, to look back and reflect. And I'm going to close by by saying them. So the first of, of Pastor Bob's legacy, his most important lessons in life, is trust God with all the details of your life, past, present, and future. Number two, be thankful for his love and the love of others. Number three, share his love with those who surround you intentionally. Number four, obey him. Obey God and follow his precise plan for for you as best you can fully understand it. And five, commit everyone and everything around you to his care. Rhonda mentioned to me when, when she sent these that she has a lot of work to do in following them. I appreciate her transparency in that, and I can tell you all that she's not alone looking at those. I have a lot of work to do myself. That was Dad's piece. So Bob himself said that he has a lot of work to do in following them. And again, we're all sinners saved by grace, and we still wrestle with that that sin nature. But may this be something that we strive for, these, these life lessons from Pastor Bob Head. And I thank God for the life and example of his servant, Bob Head, who gave us this wisdom. May we, like Bob, all seek to follow these life lessons, and may we all pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus.
1: Amen. Let us stand. Um, let us sing together. The, uh, the song that was mentioned all the way, my Savior leads me. Amen.
3: the rock
0: Comes to you from Philippians chapter three. So, um, if you had turned there earlier, hopefully you kept your finger on that book. But if not, you are welcome to turn there with me. Um, whether it's in phone or there's a there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you, as well underneath, or just feel free to to listen along. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter three and beginning in verse fifteen down to chapter four verse one Philippians three fifteen Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers submit their bodies to a very strict training regimen, all in preparation for the Olympic Games. From morning to evening, they are training and training. Even their diet must be consistent with something that will only help them and not hinder their training. And even in their sleep, they must be able to allow for eight hours of sleep and nothing less because their body needs to recover and also be prepared for the next day's strict regiment. And it's all to achieve the prize of the gold medal at the end of the finish line. The Apostle Paul may not have been familiar with such a physical, physically demanding regiment, but he does have something in common with Olympic athletes, and that is sort of this all consuming nature. Just as an Olympic athlete is consumed with training and training all to achieve the prize at the end of the race, so the Apostle Paul is consumed with this prize, a different prize. And it's what animates him, it energizes him. In the few moments that I have, I, my aim this afternoon is just to encourage you in your walk, in your race, as you strive for the finish line. It's also to encourage those of you, perhaps, who have received a particular call or assignment or responsibility that the Lord has placed upon your life, and also to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hope and our salvation. The Apostle Paul was animated by the prize of the race. Earlier in So he says that he has sacrificed a lot for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And earlier in that very chapter, he lists sort of the the sacrifices he has made in his life. He talks about his life, who he was before Christ. And what you see about this man is that this man had prestige. He had status. He had the education. He had the reverence that many people in this world long for and desire. He had the respect of his peers. And he sacrificed it all, left it all behind for something else. Something that he considered to be much more valuable. He continues in verse 10, some things that Pastor Neil had alluded to. Paul says that I may know him, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death And here's the ultimate goal, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he wants to know Christ. He even wants to know intimately and personally the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. He wants to be like Christ in his sufferings, even becoming like Christ in his death, so that ultimately he may receive the gold medal of the resurrection. So Paul is animated by this prize, and he considers it most valuable. You and I know what it's like to make sacrifices. You probably would not be here in the place that you are in your life today without making some sacrifices in your life. right? When we consider something desirable, something that we consider to be worthy and valuable, we will make sacrifices. We will give up some of those things in order to achieve or acquire something that we consider to be much more valuable. Now, what is considered valuable is sort of determined by the eye of the beholder, but people will sacrifice things in order to acquire rest, to acquire prestige, status, money, wealth, pleasure. And people will gladly give up many things in life to pursue those things, even things that many of us would consider to be invaluable, such as friends or family and your closest relationships. Paul sacrificed many of the things that the world would have considered dear and precious for something that he considered to be invaluable. And really, he was just following the example of someone who came before him, namely Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, we see there the great race that Jesus set himself upon. He entered into the arena and submitted himself to the race, taking on the likeness of you and I, putting on a human form, living as one of us, but doing much more than that. His race ultimately set him to the cross where he was crucified, taking on the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. In our faithlessness towards God. He paid the penalty for our sins, was there crucified, and was buried in the tomb. And three days after his resurrection, he was risen, he was raised again from the dead. And surely thereafter, ascended to the right hand of God, so that anyone who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ receives the forgiveness of their sins receives the guarantee that one day they too may receive the gold medal, this resurrection. And receive a place in the paradise of God. That is why I would encourage you, if any of you here have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, do not set your hope in the things of this earth. Do not set your hope in this life The things that you sacrifice for in this life may be good and may be right. But I wonder how many of those things you are able to take with you into eternity. My guess is not any of them. But the scriptures tell us that if you were to lay down your life, to give your life to following the Lord Jesus Christ, make Him your Savior, that that is a sacrifice That is an object worth sacrificing your life for. So you may have Christ and ultimately receive entrance, admittance into his heavenly paradise, receiving a glorified body. Do not put your hope in this world for the desires and the treasures of this world will perish one day. And what will guarantee you in your life into eternity is believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized this. Believers recognize this. Pastor Bob recognized this. A runner sets his sights on the prize. The moment a gunshot goes off, he has his eyes on one thing and one thing only, and that is the gold medal. He does not settle for anything less than the gold medal. The moment that he settles in his mind for anything less, he's already done. He's already guaranteed that he will not finish, but he sets its sights on the gold prize at the end of the finish line. A Christian is one who sets their eyes on the prize. Yes, it's guaranteed to us through faith in Jesus Christ. God keeps us to the very end, but at the same time the scriptures also tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work hand in hand with the Holy Spirit and striving to achieve the prize at the end of the race. Why? Because it is worth it. And in this race, Paul also, in this passage, warns us, cautions us of hurdles and distractions in the race. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So here we see some of the things that characterizes the distractions that we might come across as we are running the race that is set before us. Whether it's the race as a Christian striving to the end of the finish line, or whether it is also embedded in that grand race, is a race that God has called you uniquely to, whether it's a responsibility or an assignment or a task that God has given to you. What are some of these distractions? What are they like? Something that characterizes these distractions is that they worship their passions. They give themselves to licentious living. They're hedonistic. They pursue whatever they desire. They do as they feel. There is no objective morality. There is no objective truth that governs their life. They're sort of like wild mustangs running in the, in the wild, running free, doing as they please, running after the desires of the flesh. Many of those things. Inconsistent with the patterns laid out for us, prescribed to us in the Scriptures. Another thing that characterizes these distractions is that they give themselves to sinful lifestyles. They do those things that are not in accordance with the divine harmony and will of the Lord as it's written for us in the Scriptures. Not only that, but they glory, they take pride and they celebrate and rejoice in the things that they ought to be ashamed of. Another characteristic is that they set their minds on earthly things. Their hope is on this life and this life only and nothing more. Their hope is grounded in this life. Their great desires, the great passions of their life are things that only the earth, the things of this world can guarantee, not even guarantee, but can sort of offer them. But the Word also tells us that the things of this earth and their desires will ultimately perish. Fourthly, those distractions that are characterized by these things are ultimately headed towards the same destination, and that is destruction. So Paul's warning here, as we are seeking to run the race of the Christian life, is to be cautious, beware of whom you are looking to as an example or are imitating Because if you imitate or follow the example of those who are characterized by these distractions, then ultimately you will end up where they will end up. If you follow a bear to its cave, it's not going to invite you in warmly and let you cuddle right next to it. No, if if you follow a bear to its cave, it's going to devour you. If you follow bad company long enough, sooner enough you will find yourself in prison or worse, death. Similarly, if you follow those who are characterized by these things, you may end up in a kind of paradise on earth. But the Bible also tells us that this world and its cheap imitations of paradise will ultimately be dissolved and come to nothing and to be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth. And only those who run the race and receive the prize, the gold medal of the resurrection, will be fit enough to live and dwell in God's paradise. Again, Paul's caution to us is to beware of who you're following. There's nothing passive about following, whether you're following a particular author or a particular teacher or lecturer, whether you're following a particular social media influencer, whether you're following a particular show, On television. And I'm not saying that you need to separate yourself entirely from the world. I'm just saying you need to be cautious about what you allow to enter into the the mind and the heart and be cautious of the things that you are receiving and have a discerning mind to be able to tell the difference between what the world says and what the Bible says. Runners don't get distracted, and if they do, they immediately set their sights on the prize. They focus quickly on the task at hand. Many of you, sure, I'm sure, are familiar with the experience of having a conversation with someone, perhaps even having a conversation with someone that you don't particularly want to talk to. And, at the, and the, sort of in the peripheral view, you, have, you, you see something else going on. Or there's someone else that you are very eager to talk to and you keep sort of in your peripheral eye keep paying attention or you don't want to lose what's going on over here but at the same time you want to be rude and not focus on the conversation, the person talking right in front of you. But you're constantly distracted about what's happening in the side. Runners, when they're running, they set their eyes on the prize. They're focused. The sounds are gone. What's happening to the left and right behind them, they don't care. They have one thing and one thing only in mind, and that is getting to the finish line. So not allow yourself to be distracted by the things of the world. And then thirdly, in the passage, we see that God has given to us means of finishing the race. And there are three God-given means of finishing the race. The first is to stand firm, stand firm. continue to run the race. Hold the line. Do not give up. Do not give in. The prize is worth all the sacrifices that you could make in this life. Oftentimes what will determine the, your longevity or the endurance in the race is the strength of your calling. That's why it's, often, it's helpful when you have a particular calling in your life, when you know that the Lord has called you to a particular responsibility or assignment, is to invite others in, to, to, to help other, to, for you to be able to see an affirmation, to receive affirmation. Yes, you should pursue this. Yes, I see these gifts. I see these strengths in your life. Because one day, in a particular season, when you find yourself doubting or fearful or anxious or feel like giving up, you can look back to that particular calling and receive the assurance that you need to continue to move ahead. Stand firm. Secondly, keep your eyes on the prize. Ephesians 6.8, it says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord. God is very good at paying back those who make sacrifices in the Christian race, whether it's in this life or the next. God is very good. It's a very good rewarder of those who make sacrifices and fall the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keep your eye on the prize, for it is worth it. Resurrection is worth it. Heaven, paradise. Eden is worth it. Heaven is a place where all the negatives disappear and all the positives are multiplied. It is worth the sacrifices we make in this life in order to receive that grand gold medal at the end of the race. We should be like Jonathan Edwards who once prayed or said, Lord, stamp eternity in my eyeballs. Help me to see everything in light of eternity. Help me to see people in light of eternity. Help me to see my tasks as mundane as they might be in light of eternity. Help me to see my job in light of eternity. Help me to see my life in light of eternity. You should have heaven in your eye the whole time that you are walking on the earth. And then lastly, Paul tells us, imitate godly examples. Imitate those examples. Look to those who have gone before. Look to the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Look to the saints of church history as examples. Look to those that you know personally who have gone before you we just heard wonderfully about Pastor Bob's life and the legacy he left behind and life worthy of imitation. Look to those godly examples. God has given those to Christians as a means of grace to encourage us and to help us to continue to run the, the race with all endurance and not giving up so that we might learn from their examples. Look to even living examples. Who Are, are you in community? Are you around people that have virtues about them that are worth imitating? because they are following Jesus Christ. If you see someone who you know is, is, who has this incredible patience, someone that you know that God has, uh, has favored with great wisdom, or someone that is just really good at loving others, imitate their examples. Look to them. Have a cup of coffee with them. Ask them questions. Get to know them. Imitate the, their examples. Look to those Who leave a trail of righteousness, who leave behind them a pattern of righteousness, those are the ones that you want to imitate. Look to those who have made incredible sacrifices and following the call of God. Those are lives worth imitating. Paul says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great hymn called, The King is Coming, and it goes like this. It says, With joy we wait our king's returning, from his heavenly mansions fair, and with 10,000 saints appearing, we shall meet him in the air. Oh, may we never weary, watching, never lay our armor down until He come and with rejoicing give to each the promised crown. O oh, wondrous day, O oh, glorious morning, when the Son of Man shall come. May we, with lamps all trimmed and burning, gladly welcome His return. Rejoice, rejoice, our King is coming, and the time will not be long until we hail the radiant dawning and lift up the glad new song. Olympians train hard to receive a perishable gold medal at the end of the race. Whether the investment of time and energy in one's life is worth it, I'll leave you to decide. But I can tell you this, that those who run the race of the Christian life who strive for the gold medal of heaven and the resurrection, who make such great sacrifices in this life for the sake of that prize. I can tell you that it is worth it, because the Bible says it is worth it, and I can almost guarantee that those who have gone before, including Pastor Bob, would say, yes, the sacrifices that I've made in this life to follow the call of God upon my life was well worth it. Father in heaven, help us to continue to strive to run after the prize at the end of the race. Lord, encourage us to continue to be faithful in this call Strengthen those who are weak today. Revitalize those who are in a season of exhaustion. And Lord, call to yourself those who have yet to enter this race by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call them to yourself. Call them into the arena to run the race that so they might receive this imperishable wreath that God has reserved for all of those who love the Lord Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Let us stand and uh,
1: one last song. Let's sing together, It Is Well With My Soul. Amen.
3: i
0: Praise the Lord. Uh, again, thank you all for coming. You are invited to a reception down in the fellowship hall. We will have some sweets uh, and some uh, ice cream in memory of, of Pastor Bob. Um, also, uh, I want to make sure you know that there's a, uh, there's a guest book for you to sign downstairs in that same fellowship hall. Um, it's, you'll find it right next to the, uh, the church library and also, uh, there will be um, an open mic, so for anyone who would like to share anything that is available to you. So, uh, again, thank you so much. Let me qu- quickly play, uh, pray a-, a blessing over uh, our reception and our time, and you will be dismissed. Father, we pray that, first and foremost, that you would have been honored and glorified as we uh, look to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our salvation, and resting in the great reward that you have reserved for those who follow the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to continue to be encouraged by this great prize. Lord, bless the rest of our time together. May we continue to just do honor, not only to you, but also to Pastor Bob's uh, life and legacy as we fellowship together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.